This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Twenty Years After by Alexandre Dumas Chapter 2 A Nightly Patrol In ten minutes Marzarin and his party were traversing the street, Les Bon Enfants, behind the theatre built by Richelieu, expressly for the play of Miramie, and in which Marzarin, who was an amateur of music, but not of literature, had introduced into France the first opera that was ever acted in that country. The appearance of the town denoted the greatest agitation. Numberless groups paraded the streets, and whatever D'Artagnan might think of it, it was obvious that the citizens had, for the night, laid aside their usual forbearance, in order to assume a warlike aspect. From time to time noises came in the direction of the public markets. The report of firearms was heard near the Rue Saint-Denis, and occasionally church-bells began to ring indiscriminately, and at the caprice of the populace. D'Artagnan, meantime, pursued his way with the indifference of a man upon whom such acts of folly made no impression. When he approached a group in the middle of the street he urged his horse upon it, without a word of warning, and the members of the group, whether rebels or not, as if they knew with what sort of a man they had to deal, at once gave place to the patrol. The cardinal envied that composure, which he attributed to the habit of meeting danger, but none the less he conceived for the officer under whose orders he had for the moment placed himself, that consideration which even prudence pays to careless courage. On approaching an outpost near the Barrie de Sergin, the sentinel cried out, "'Who's there?' and D'Artagnan answered, having first asked the word of the cardinal, Louis and Rocroy, after which he inquired if Lieutenant Cominge were not the commanding officer at the outpost. The soldier replied by pointing out to him an officer who was conversing on foot, his hand upon the neck of a horse, on which the individual to whom he was talking sat. Here was the officer D'Artagnan was seeking. "'Here is Monsieur Cominges,' said D'Artagnan, returning to the cardinal. He instantly retired from a feeling of respectful delicacy. It was, however, evident that the cardinal was recognized by both Cominges and the other officers on horseback. "'Well done, Guiton,' cried the cardinal to the equestrian. "'I see plainly that, notwithstanding the sixty-four years that have passed over your head, you are still the same man, active and zealous.' "'What were you saying to this youngster?' "'My lord,' replied Guiton, "'I was observing that we live in troublous times, "'and that to-day's events are very like those in the days of the League, "'of which I heard so much in my youth. "'Are you aware that the mob have even suggested "'throwing up barricades in the Rue Saint-Denis and the Rue Saint-Antoine?' "'And what was Cominges saying to you in reply, my good Guiton?' "'My lord,' said Cominges, "'I answered that to compose a league only one ingredient was wanting, "'in my opinion an essential one, a duc de Guise. "'Moreover, no generation ever does the same thing twice.' "'No, but they mean to make a fronde, as they call it,' said Guiton. "'And what is a fronde?' inquired Mazarin. "'My lord, fronde is the name the discontented give to their party.' "'And what is the origin of this name?' 
It seems that some days since Councillor Beauchemont remarked at the palace that rebels and agitators reminded him of schoolboys slinging qui frontant stones from the moats around Paris, young urchins who run off the moment the constable appears, only to return to their diversion the instant his back is turned. So they have picked up the word, and the insurrectionists are called frondeurs. And yesterday every article sold was à la fronde. Bread à la fronde, hats à la fronde. To say nothing of gloves, pocket-handkerchiefs, and fans. But listen. At that moment a window opened and a man began to sing. A tempest from the fronde did blow to-day. I think twill blow. Sieur Marzin away. Insolent wretch, cried Guiton. "'My lord!' cried Comminges, who, irritated by his wounds, wished for revenge and longed to give back, blow for blow. "'Shall I fire off a ball to punish that jester, and to warn him not to sing so much out of tune in the future?' And as he spoke he put his hand on the holster of his uncle's saddle-bow. "'Certainly not, certainly not!' exclaimed Marjorie. "'Diavolo! My dear friend, you are going to spoil everything!' "'Everything is going on famously. "'I know the French as well as if I had made them myself. "'They sing. Let them pay the piper.' "'During the league, about which Guitant was speaking just now, "'the people chanted nothing except the mass. "'So everything went to destruction. "'Come, Guitant, come along, "'and let's see if they keep watch at the Cannes Vanc, "'as at the Barrière des Sergents.' "'And waving his hand to Caminges, he rejoined D'Artagnan, who instantly put himself at the head of his troop, followed by the cardinal, Guitant, and the rest of the escort. "'Just so,' muttered Caminges, looking after Mazarin. "'True, I forgot. Provided he can get money out of the people, that is all he wants.' The street of Saint-Honore, when the cardinal and his party passed through it, was crowded by an assemblage, who, standing in groups, discussed the edicts of that memorable day. They pitied the young king, who was unconsciously ruining his country, and threw all the odium of his proceedings on Marjorin. Addresses to the Duke of Orleans and to Condé were suggested. Blomenil and Bruxelles seemed in the highest favour. D'Artagnan passed through the very midst of this discontented mob, just as if his horse and he had been made of iron. Marjorin and Guiton conversed together in whispers, the musketeers, who had already discovered who Mazarin was, followed in profound silence. In the street of St. Thomas de Louvre, they stopped at the barrier distinguished by the name of Cainsvain. Here Guiton spoke to one of the subalterns, asking how matters were progressing. "'Ah, Captain,' said the officer, "'everything is quiet hereabout. If I did not know that something is going on in yonder house.' and he pointed to a magnificent hotel situated on the very spot whereon the vaudeville now stands in that hotel is it the hotel Rambouillet? cried guiton i really don't know what hotel it is all i do know is that i observe some suspicious-looking people go in there nonsense exclaimed guiton with a burst of laughter those must be poets come guiton speak if you please respectfully of these gentlemen said Marjorie. "'Don't you know that I was in my youth a poet? "'I wrote verses in the style of Bensarade.' "'You, my lord?' "'Yes, I. "'Shall I repeat to you some of my verses?' "'Just as you please, my lord. "'I do not understand Italian.' "'Yes, but you understand French.' 
and Marzarin laid his hand upon Guitant's shoulder. "'My good, my brave Guitant, whatsoever command I may give you in that language, in French, whatever I may order you to do, will you not perform it?' "'Certainly. I have already answered that question in the affirmative. But that command must come from the Queen herself.' "'Yes, ah, yes,' Marzarin bit his lips as he spoke. "'I know your devotion to Her Majesty.' "'I have been a captain in the Queen's Guard for twenty years,' was the reply. "'En route, Monsieur d'Artagnan,' said the Cardinal. "'All goes well in this direction.' D'Artagnan, in the meantime, had taken the head of his detachment, without a word, and with that ready and profound obedience which marks the character of an old soldier. He led the way toward the hill of St. Roche. The Rue Richelieu and the Rue Vidot were then owing to their vicinity to the ramparts, less frequented than any others in that direction, for the town was thinly inhabited thereabout. "'Who is in command here?' asked the cardinal. "'Vilquier,' said Guiton. "'Diavolo, speak to him yourself, for ever since you were debuted by me to arrest the Duc de Beaufort. This officer and I have been on bad terms. He laid claim to that honour as captain of the Royal Guards.' "'I am aware of that, and I have told him a hundred times that he was wrong. "'The king could not give that order, since at that time he was hardly four years old. "'Yes, but I could give him the order, I, Guiton, and I preferred to give it to you.' "'Guiton, without reply, rode forward, and desired the sentinel to call Monsieur de Villequier. "'Ah, so you are here,' cried the officer, in the tone of ill-humour habitual to him. "'What the devil are you doing here?' "'I wish to know. Can you tell me? Pray. Is anything fresh occurring in this part of the town?' "'What do you mean? People cry out, "'Long live the king! Down with Mazarin!' "'That's nothing new. No, we've—we've we've been used to those acclamations for some time.' "'And you sing chorus,' replied Guiton, laughing. "'Faith, I've half a mind to do it. In my opinion the people are right, and cheerfully would I give up five years of my pay, which I am never paid, by the way.' to make the king five years older. Really, and pray what would come to pass, supposing the king were five years older than he is. As soon as ever the king comes of age, he will issue his commands himself, and tis far pleasanter to obey the grandson of Henry the Fourth than the son of Peter Marzarin. So death! I would die willingly for the king, but supposing I happen to be killed on account of Marzarin, as your nephew came near being to-day, there could be nothing in paradise however well placed i might be there that could console me for it well well monsieur de villequier mazarin interposed i shall make it my care the king hears of your loyalty come gentlemen addressing the troop let us return stop exclaimed villequier so mazarin was here so much the better i have been waiting for a long time to tell him what i think of him i am obliged to you guiton although your intention was perhaps not favourable to me for such an opportunity. He turned away and went off to his post, whistling a tune then popular among the party called the Fronde, whilst Marzarin returned, in a pensive mood, towards the Palais Royal. All that he had heard from these three different men, Caminges, Guiton, and Velquier, confirmed him in his conviction that in case of serious tumults there would be no one on his side except the queen. 
and then Anne of Austria had so often deserted her friends that her support seemed most precarious. During the whole of this nocturnal ride, during the whole time that he was endeavouring to understand the various characters of Caminges, Guiton, and Velquier, Mazarin was, in truth, studying more especially one man, this man who had remained immovable as bronze when menaced by the mob, not a muscle of whose face stirred, either at Mazarin's witticisms or by the jests of the multitude, seemed to the cardinal a peculiar being, who, having participated in past events similar to those now occurring, was calculated to cope with those now on the eve of taking place. The name of D'Artagnan was not altogether new to Mazarin, who, although he did not arrive in France before the year 1634 or 1635, that is to say, about eight or nine years after the events which we have related in a preceding narrative, fancied he had heard it pronounced as that of one who was said to be a model of courage, address, and loyalty. Note. Preceding Narrative the three musketeers. End note. Possessed by this idea, the cardinal resolved to know all about D'Artagnan immediately. Of course he could not inquire from D'Artagnan himself who he was and what had been his career. He remarked, however, in the course of conversation, that the lieutenant of musketeers spoke with a Gascon accent. Now the Italians and the Gascons are too much alike and know each other too well, ever to trust what any one of them may say of himself. So in reaching the walls which surrounded the Palais Royal, the cardinal knocked at a little door, and after thanking D'Artagnan, and requesting him to wait in the court of the Palais Royal, he made a sign to Guiton to follow him. They both dismounted, consigned their horses to the lacquery who had opened the door, and disappeared in the garden. "'My dear friend,' said the cardinal, leaning as they walked through the garden, on his friend's arm, "'you told me, just now, that you had been twenty years in the Queen's service.' "'Yes, it is true, I have,' returned Guiton. "'Now, my dear Guiton, I have often remarked that in addition to your courage, which is indisputable, and your fidelity, which is invincible, you possess an admirable memory.' "'You have found that out, have you, my lord?' Deuce take it! All the worse for me. How? There is no doubt but that one of the chief accomplishments of a courtier is to know when to forget. But you, Guiton, are not a courtier. You are a brave soldier, one of the few remaining veterans of the days of Henry the Fourth. Alas, how few today exist! Plague-aunt, my lord, have you brought me here to get my horoscope out of me? "'No, I only brought you here to ask you,' returned Mazarin, smiling. "'If you have taken any particular notice of our lieutenant of musketeers. "'Monsieur d'Artagnan? "'I have no occasion to notice him particularly. "'He is an old acquaintance. "'He is a Gascon. "'De Travail knows him and esteems him very highly. "'And de Travail, as you know, is one of the Queen's greatest friends. "'As a soldier, the man ranks well.' He did his whole duty, and even more, at the siege of Rochelle, as at Sous and Perpignan. But you know, Guiton, we poor ministers often want men with other qualities besides courage. We want men of talent. Pray was not Monsieur d'Artagnan, in the time of the cardinal, mixed up in some intrigue, from which he came out, according to report, quite cleverly? 
"'My lord, as to the report you allude to,' Guiton perceived that the cardinal wished to make him speak out. "'I know nothing but what the public knows. I never meddle in intrigues, and if I occasionally become a confidant of the intrigues of others, I am sure your eminence will approve of my keeping them secret.' Marcerin shook his head. "'Ah,' he said, "'some ministers are fortunate and find out all they wish to know.' "'My lord,' replied Guiton, "'such ministers do not weigh men in the same balance. "'They get their information on war from warriors, "'on intrigues from intriguers. "'Consult some politician on the period of which you speak, "'and if you pay well for it, "'you will certainly get to know all you want.' "'Eh, pardieu,' said Marcerin, with a grimace which he always made when spoken to about money. They will be paid, if there is no way of getting out of it. Does my lord seriously wish me to name any one who is mixed up in the cabals of the day? By Bacchus, rejoined Mazarin impatiently, it's about an hour since I asked you for that very thing, wooden-head that you are. There is one man for whom I can answer, if he will speak out. That's my concern. I will make him speak. "'Ah, my lord, tis not easy to make people say "'what they don't wish to let out. Pooh! With patience one must succeed. "'Well, this man, who is he?' "'The Comte de Rochefort.' "'The Comte de Rochefort?' "'Unfortunately he has disappeared these four or five years, "'and I don't know where he is.' "'I know, Guiton,' said Marcerin. "'Well, then, how is it that your eminence "'complained just now of want of information?' "'You think,' resumed Mazarin, "'that Rochefort—' "'He was Cardinal Richelieu's creature, my lord. "'I warn you, however, his services will cost you something. "'The cardinal was lavish to his underlings.' "'Yes, yes, Guiton,' said Mazarin. "'Richelieu was a great man, a very great man, but he had that defect. "'Thanks, Guiton. I shall benefit by your advice this very evening.' Here they separated, and bidding adieu to Guiton in the court of the Palais Royal, Mazarin approached an officer who was walking up and down within that enclosure. It was D'Artagnan who was waiting for him. "'Come hither,' said Mazarin, in his softest voice. "'I have an order to give you.' D'Artagnan bent low, and following the cardinal up the secret staircase, soon found himself in the study whence they had first set out." the cardinal seated himself before his bureau and taking a sheet of paper wrote some lines upon it whilst d'artagnan stood imperturbable without showing either impatience or curiosity he was like a soldierly automaton or rather like a magnificent marionette the cardinal folded and sealed his letter monsieur d'artagnan said he you are to take this dispatch to the bastille and bring back here the person it concerns you must take a carriage and an escort and guard the prisoner with the greatest care d'artagnan took the letter touched his hat with his hand turned round upon his heel like a drill sergeant and a moment afterward was heard in his dry and monotonous tone commanding four men and an escort a carriage and a horse five minutes afterwards the wheels of the carriage and the horse's shoes were heard resounding on the pavement of the courtyard End of chapter 2